0: 1 Timothy 5:17 through 25. We'll read that starting off this morning. And it says this. Let the elder, elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the way that you ministered to my heart. Father, for the way that when we walk in here, you calm us. I pray that you would. God, just the reminder of the people leading us in worship, how two of those people led me in high school and college, and one of them married one of my brother's best friends. It's uh, pretty amazing the testimonies that come through this church and the way that you continue to protect your church and grow it and remind us often of your faithfulness. And so I pray that you would continue to work. I pray that you would reveal to us the depths of your word here this morning, that we would be able to worship, that this would be invigorating to us because your spirit is at work. God, that you were to remind us of truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, with that text in mind, I want to ask a rhetorical question. I got to teach last week as well, but have you ever read the headline that uh, maybe of a church that you went to or one that you're associated with through friends, and it's just a terrible headline, the pastor morally failed, or uh, someone in their leadership embezzled money. Uh, We've read the headlines of a Christian camp that abused its campers, or so on and so on. Um, And so I just want to ask that question, has that ever came up in your mind where you, you read that and you say, how does that happen? How did it get to that point? And so that's been kind of where I've been at as I've read through this. If you start off in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, it's kind of asking the question, how do we get here? How, how did we get to the point that Paul is having to address what he's having to address? address? And so I, I want to get back to that question after we read through our text today or, or talk through it. Because last week we turned from addressing widows in the church, and it, and it was a call for the whole church. So not just those in ministry, but for the whole church, it became a family affair of him calling the families to take care of the widows first, and then for the church to get involved secondly. And then if we look again here, we're looking again here in chapter 5, and we're looking at elders again. He he already talked about elders in chapter 3, and he declared that pastoral leadership in the church is a noble task. That was chapter 3, verse 1. And then he has supplied a list of qualifications. And so now in chapter 5, he lays out how we are to compensate, how we are to discipline, and how we are to ordain our elders into ministry. And so in the, in the Reformed church, we sometimes get a distinction, which I don't know if it's actually there in the Scripture or not, but this is where the Reformed church thinks that there's two kinds of elders. And you can kind of see that in here, that we have full-time or part-time, or some churches label them staff elders, which I would be a staff elder, and then we have lay elders, which are part-time or there for their counsel. The staff elders would be those who preach and teach and provide administration throughout the week, where the lay elders would be those that we've appointed for prayer, for counsel, for wisdom, for oversight, while they're typically staying in a full-time job or they're in retirement. And so regardless if Paul is making that distinction here or not, the text puts attention on the elders who teach and preach. And it says especially. So there is a distinction of some sort that he's saying, pay attention to this part, to the ones that preach and teach, that they should require maybe more of our attention. And then if you recall when Jeremy McCowan preached through chapter 4, Paul said this, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers, which is you. So Paul, he puts this high value here, not necessarily because these men are greater than the others. I'm not greater than anyone else in this church, but what they're doing holds greater responsibility. And so he addresses how the church is to take care of its elders, and he does that by saying, how do we pay them or reimbursement? Uh, How do we keep watch over them? How do we discipline them? And how do we appoint them to this position? How do we get to that point to say, okay, you're ready? Or this is a qualified candidate. And so what I see in this text, he lays out five principles. And so that's what I want to do is walk through these verses and just kind of point out what Paul is pointing out. And so if you will look at verse 17 through 18 We get this idea of appreciation, if you want to write that down. God's Word says here that those who serve God's church in this capacity as elder or presbyter, or uh, there's lots of phrases that we could interchange for elder, especially those that teach and handle the position well, they deserve something. That's what the text said. It does not distinctly say that that something is money. It doesn't say that it's a lots of pats on the back. Uh, most scholars land on the idea that this section, what Paul is addressing, is based on time. He's saying that because of the time of them doing it faithfully and the time that they expend throughout their week, we should compensate them. We don't want them to put all their time into this work without acknowledging what they're doing. And if you look at verse 17, it uses a strange phrase. It says, double honor. And so, it, I want y'all to, when you hear that, I've heard Kellen Nichols use this a lot. Double honor—it's um, not just a call for respect or obedience from members, but it's also reasonable pay. That's kind of the language that Paul is using when he, when if we translated "double" in First Timothy five seventeen that you're looking at, it means twofold. And the term "honor" is in the original language includes this idea of price or reimbursement or repayment and then we have a word that i don't ever use but it's an english word honorarium so it's the extension of that and that definition is the payment made to a person for his or her services in a volunteer capacity or services for which fees are not traditionally required so it's saying that i'm volunteering as an elder and out of uh, respect y'all pay me which is what you do so we're paying them out of honor or goodwill. And so Paul felt that dutiful and diligent shepherds of God's church ought to be honored in two ways, in proper esteem or care and fair compensation. It's kind of what the text is leading us to there. And then he, to prove his point, he says he uses two different scriptures. And so the first one that he recalls is out of Deuteronomy 25.4, and in your text it says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain. And so the, the point of that, that's kind of weird analogy, but the point of that is saying that if, if the Lord is concerned for this animal that is plowing the earth, then how much more is he concerned for the workers of the gospel? That's kind of the analogy he's using there. Uh, my wife said, let the oxen eat as he is working the field. Let him be refreshed and provided for through his work as we were talking through that of just as, as the oxen is working, he's being refreshed through his ministry. And then Paul also uses this same oxen analogy in 1 Corinthians 9-11, and he, he talks through how this applies to elders, and he says this. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? And then the second scripture he uses in our text today in 1 Timothy 5:18, he quotes Jesus out of Luke 10:7, saying, "The laborer deserves his wages." And as I was reading that, I just kind of noticed the unflattering uh, verses he describes elders or your pastors. right? He describes us as stinky, smelly farm animals, and he describes us as lowly laborers of the field, which is awesome. But I don't think he's trying to downplay the position. He's he's putting into play this this, uh, visual to us that it's hard labor. It is hard work. That we're engaging in something that takes blood, sweat, and tears, and time. And if it's managed with intentional care, then this deserves affirmation and proper compensation. That's the point that Paul is trying to make to Timothy as he's taking care of his church. But there's a balance here, too. So, just going back i want to I want to keep that in balance with what we 've already read. Uh, one of the things with uh, going back to chapter three, verse three is that an overseer he says that an overseer qualification of an elder should be one that does is not a lover of money and if you go read first Corinthians nine that I alluded to earlier, that whole passage is talking about these elders or leaders in the church that they should not be they should not have a descriptive about them or an adjective that describes them as boastful, that that should not be a place for anyone who leads in God's church because we boast in Christ. I have nothing in myself to boast about. And so there's this check here that even though we we pay our leadership, we don't want to lead them into loving money more than God or loving the status or the position more than God. And so that's on you a little bit, Okay. So this is an ongoing requirement that Paul is saying, pay attention to who you put there. Pay attention to what we're doing here. Be watchful over your elders' lives and souls, even as ministry grows, because this church has changed from 17 people to this, and it's a beautiful blessing, but it comes just like a family as you grow. It comes with more things, more stresses, more concerns and cares, And so Paul is advocating for the church to appreciate the elders and the ministry that they do through the form of proper compensation, but never to the point that it starts to rule their heart. And so faithful, spiritually dutiful elders are worthy of attention, giving them attention, caring for their souls, affirming them is Paul's first point that he makes in those verses. And so affirmation, that's the first thing we see. Secondly, if you go on to verses 19 19 through 20, he turns from the elders that are serving well. He's saying, give them attention, care for them. And he he turns to those who maybe aren't, uh, to those elders that may instead deserve a rebuke. And so first, Paul addresses fairness. That's the second thing. In these verses, I see fairness. In the proper procedures of dealing with a complaint that comes up against an elder, Or or secondly, he says, or how to handle an elder who is found guilty, who is in sin. And so in verses 19, he says this. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Two or three witnesses. So in the Old Testament, I'm going to put two, just the reference up there to Deuteronomy 17 and 19. Um, it, It testifies that they could not have a complaint against someone unless there were two to three witnesses. Uh, the same goes for the New Testament, in particular with church leaders that are being accused. Not to say that they're, you know, better than us, that one, one complaint isn't enough, but it's protection not only for them, but for you, for the one bringing the complaint. That we need to gather proper evidence to be, to be fair And so as we've talked about the last few weeks, Paul's very practical in this letter. I see just his wisdom coming out, and him being practical again, I see the wisdom in that, that in my position, or Patrick or John or whoever gets up here and preaches, uh, we get attacked literally every Sunday, and that might be off-putting or strange, but it happens every week. And It's starting to become normal because Satan is constantly looking for ways to tear down his church. And how better than start from the people up front, right? And so he often uses people inside the church. It often comes from friends. It's painful. And the enemy is creating all kinds of scenarios, not just for us, but you. I see it in you guys as well as parents, as business owners, as wives to someone that might be leading, or husbands to someone that might be leading, and the attack that often comes to me through that is the constant, you're not enough. You didn't measure up. And often I've just kind of resolved to say, you're right, I'm not. I, I can't do this. And that's taken a lot of pressure off me to let the Lord work, to say that I, I can't stand up under that pressure sometimes. And so we need the Lord and his spirit to convict hearts and bring salvation. I can't do that. And so that's something that I need you guys to pray, that's something that you pray over us, that you pray over your small groups to continue to ask the spirit to lead us. John Calvin, I read this quote this week, he said, none are more prone to slanders and insults than godly teachers. They may perform their duties correctly and conscientiously yet they never avoid a thousand criticisms. And so, when the church handles things well, Satan doesn't like that. He doesn't like when you're humbling yourself. He doesn't like when you give grace to me, whether I'm succeeding or failing. And so, when the enemy undermines the church in whatever way he can, uh, he rejoices. If he can take the leadership, then it is easier to take the whole church. If he can take a mom or dad, it's easier to take the whole family. And so Paul makes the point that gossip or, or one complaint is not enough, not because it's not accurate, but because we need to be watchful. And if one person sees it, then the next person should see it too, because we do this together. And so he said we need, to, we need time and proof. That's kind of the thing that we see here. It's time. Slow down. And so that's the call of two to three witnesses. And then in verse 20, he makes the point that if indeed two or three or more people have confirmed this misconduct, then the conduct is to be addressed. And, the, and if the leader still continues without repentance, then the sadness and the scandal of that situation, it, we can't avoid it, okay? We don't ever want to get there, but we're not going to avoid it. And so he says this, as for those who persist in sin, Rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. So Paul's saying this needs to be dealt with powerfully, that it is a last resort scenario, that you've tried to deal with it in private, providing protection for everyone involved, whether that's leadership or not, and then giving them time to respond and deal with their sin. But if they do not respond and deal with their sin, then it becomes a public matter. All right. Distraction. Enemy. All right. So he's saying if they do not respond to that rebuke, then it becomes a public affair. It's all of our business at that point because it affects the way that we do things here and that by exposing that sin to all, then we're all humbled through that, right? And he says fear. It is a godly fear that... When it is shown to the world, is it exposed, then it makes us humble in the way that we do this. And so in light of fairness to the church and its elders, Paul is saying that we must be cautious in the way that we accuse and yet bold in the way that we rebuke. And that protects both the leadership and the church in the process. So fairness. Thirdly, impartiality. Uh, If you read in verse 21, it says this. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. And so he takes fairness a step further and he builds on top of it. And he says that things come up, whether from your elders or from your congregants, Paul instructs young Timothy to avoid forming judgments before all facts are presented. And to do so without favoritism. And so this is, a, this is a big one in the church. It's kind of the running joke that we talk about the church being split over the color of the carpet. Um, it, it's, that's a real thing and probably has actually happened because we tend to get our feelings hurt by each other. And, and feelings are often overlooked. Often we label them as emotional. But if the leadership isn't taking the time to sift through the actual issues, the feelings and the emotions might actually be spot on. The Lord's given us those feelings and and emotions. But maybe they're not. A lot of times they're not. We lead out of emotion. And so he says, showing favoritism is such a concern, or Paul is he's stating this here, that he finds it proper to halt in this text, and he does something that I think is interesting. He reminds Timothy who he is, as if he doesn't know who's writing this letter already. And it's one of his good friends. And he says, I'm Paul. I'm an apostle appointed by God. And he says, in the presence of God, who is our creator, who according to Romans 2.11, he shows no partiality, He says, in the presence of Christ Jesus, who is the one who will judge all of creation one day, and if that's not enough, he says, I'm Paul, and I'm in the presence of the elect angels, those who have stood faithful when the others have fallen from glory. And so Paul does this to prove a point that this is a big deal. He's he's reminding Timothy to not forget how God has established them, He says, I charge you to keep the principles surrounding your elders and the church and their character and their care of the church outlined in what I just said in 17 through 20. And he reflects back to chapter 3. And he says, as you hear accusation and provide rebuke, do in all fairness. Do that in all fairness with no bend towards sins or injustice. So without partiality, which literally translates to without judgment, So don't judge yet, meaning don't jump the gun before you hear all that is presented. It keeps the church from being stained from favoritism. He's saying be watchful. Don't don't give in to favors because of bribery. Don't, Don't give in because of judging in favor of friends or family or those that are closer to you. That's nepotism. And then the list goes on. He says avoid partiality. Take on the character of God and how you handle the church's aches and pains. And then we'll move on to verses 22 through 23. And the word that I see here is caution. As you choose elders among you, be cautious. He says, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. Uh, that That phrasing to us, if you weren't, in the church that sounds like they're being arrested or getting in a fight or something but in in scripture the laying on of hands typically means praying over someone to ordain them into a ministry and so that's kind of the unsure if that's what he's saying but context clues with how Paul writes in other areas that's kind of what he's saying so as you go through this process laying hands on elders and ordaining them into ministry Um, It becomes a thing for the church. He says in verse 20, Paul addresses having to rebuke an elder publicly. He says here, the best way to avoid that, to getting to the point of laying hands on someone, ordaining them into the ministry, and then having to pull them off to the side or put them before the church and say they failed. He's saying to avoid that, he's saying be watchful over them. So before you ever get to the point of putting them before a group of people and leading them, care for their soul. Be watchful, be intentional in how you give them responsibility beforehand. He's saying be wise and methodical and be slow to bring on an elder. And so Paul continues on by saying, do not partake in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. And so again, a big way to avoid heartache in the church with your leaders and avoid taking on their sinful ways is by having time in ministry with someone to see what surfaces, to see over time what sins come up, what joys come up, how the Lord has gifted them and their strengths and where their weaknesses lie so that you can steward that well. And a big reason that he says a qualification for the elder in chapter 3 is that he can't be a recent convert is because of this. We don't have time yet. So we're not going to put someone up there that we just don't know. So without time, we don't know what's below that surface. And so him being practical again, he's saying in a big way to ensure we don't get to the sad, embarrassing place of having to publicly call out our leaders is to safely walk through this process to see if they can actually stand up under the call. And so it's a vetting process. He's kind of putting some parameters in place to say, slow down, to be watchful. And then 23, this is uh, an awesome one. Uh, I won't spend too much time on verse 23, because honestly, there's not a lot I can provide. The commentaries are awesome. Go read them. Actually, I'd recommend not. It's not probably worth time. But... The thing that makes most sense in all the research surrounding verse kind of 22, leading into 23, is Paul is saying, Keep watch over yourself. Keep yourself pure. Don't give in to the sins of others. And so he takes that into 23 in this watchfulness by addressing Timothy's ailments that seem to be going on. By saying, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So rather than avoid wine, to avoid issues that people might have in the church during this time with drinking, uh, many scholars say that Paul is simply telling his younger brother to keep watch not only his soul, but on his body. That physical, your physical body has royal effects on your spiritual condition. That's a theme that Paul often uses in almost every letter of how, how physically affects the spiritual. And, and the wine of their day had a lot of medicinal value. Especially to do with indigestion issues, so that's kind of what we think we're we're having here. but the reason that I love this verse, and it kind of catches me off guard uh, it's probably in parentheses in your text too, but it's very personal it, it's It's a friendship level comment that he throws in here. He's talking high level church things and really hard struggle within the church, and uh, then he kind of acknowledges that Timothy is a delicate man, a delicate. He has delicate health. And so kind of as a friend, he says, hey, brother, take care of your church, but, you know, take care of your tummy too. This guy is kind of like soft. And he says, I, I know wine is maybe taboo at the moment, uh, but, and I'm sorry that you're having eating issues, but, man, come on, take care of yourself. Be smart. And so it makes these guys real to me. It reminds us that they're people. That they had strengths and weaknesses. That as Timothy got up to preach, his stomach was hurting. Or he couldn't swallow. That's, that's literally one of my issues. I cannot f- swallow food sometimes. And it's painful. So I relate here because it happens often. And so it shows the kindness and fatherly care that Paul has for Timothy. I don't think that's by mistake. But again, in verses 22 and 23, it's a call to be cautious. He says, don't be hasty. And then lastly, if we move on to the last two verses, the fifth thing kind of that Paul has surrounding elders is discernment. Having told Timothy already to be full of caution, he now says often things aren't as they seem in verse 24 and 25. Some things look good, but people are actually hiding in sin, Other scenarios might be that that person is underqualified or timid, but in reality, they just haven't had time or been given the opportunity to lead in God's church yet. And and that's growing pains of a church. We're going through that right now. It's just a constant as we grow. We need more leadership. We haven't had time. We're always needing to put people into roles. And yet, as a growing church, we're kind of an adolescent kid right now. We're in our teenage years. We're not 17 people anymore. We're not 100 people anymore. We're getting very close to 250, 300, which is crazy. And so that's a painful process as we grow. And so Paul is saying, as you do that, have discernment. In facing hard scenarios, uh, have discernment over your own heart. Submit to other elders in your church so that they have oversight over you. Be discerning in that process. Be able to see the potential for favoritism Be watchful and steer away. Discernment when it's proper to bring private sin into the public realm, right? Be wise. Be discerning when you need to give a little push to that person that is timid to put them into that position, right? Be discerning in how we care for each other. And so we've already seen he said we need to appreciate the position, we need to be fair, we need to be impartial, we need to be cautious, and we need to be discerning. And when those things are in place, heartache is avoided. That's a blessing for us. That we don't have to go through a lot of what other churches go through if we are sticking to Scripture. That when we deal with them the way that the Lord outlines, then the church is protected. That the gospel is held high for all to take part in. And that God's name is protected against the attacks of the enemy. But the sad part in the U.S. is we see that all the time. And you read those headlines over and over. And it's became a plague. It's recently happened in almost every denomination. We've read headlines in the Catholic Church. We've read them in the Baptist Church. We've read them in Acts 29, which were in that network of young men that are given too much authority. That older men that go unchecked. That charismatic, good-looking people get positions of power above those who are truly caring and tending for God's church faithfully. And so in this text, Paul, in a very big brother way, is calling Timothy to remember his own vetting process. Don't discount yourself for being young. Remember what the Lord has been doing. Remember how he's confirmed these things, and he's worked through you all the way along. Knowing that Timothy leans towards being timid, Paul challenges him, in this text that we're reading, that when an elder is wrong, stand bold in that position that the Lord has given you to call them out. But be protective, to call out sin more confident in, in the word of the Lord than you're trying to be in your position, and to be humble so that you yourself don't find yourself in that same position. And so he says this, if you look back at the text, the, the sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment. I don't use conspicuous, so I I had to practice that word. Um, But that means apparent. They're very bright. The sins of some are apparent, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later, not so bright, not so apparent. So also good works are conspicuous. And even those that are not cannot remain hidden. And so that, those two verses, it shows the complexities of choosing godly candidates for the good of the church. It's not easy. And one commentary that I read, I wanted to quote, says this. Unworthy men might be chosen whose moral culpability lies deeper than the surface. And worthy men whose good actions are not in the limelight might easily be overlooked. And so the whole situation demands extreme caution. So it just shows the complexity of what it takes for us to function as a church. And so as we're closing out this book, uh, I just wanted to give a little confession. Uh, We have a few more weeks left. Often we get halfway through a book or towards the end, and it happens every time that someone's like, are we almost done? Like, when are we going to move on? Uh, We've gone through some books where it seems like it's repeating itself over and over, and I get that. I felt the same way. You just want to, it might just be that we're bored, right? But here's the deal. So the reason we do this, the reason we walk right through the text is because if we don't know these things, if you don't know these things, then you can't hold me to it and I can't hold you to it. We're not being watchful over the things that Paul is saying, be watchful over. And then he's calling out, the whole reason he writes this letter is because of false teachers in the church. There's a problem. And so if we don't know these things, that's where we end up. So don't be bored by this, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm convicted in that sometimes. It's like, what's next? Can we get to the happy scriptures, right? But this is the happy scripture. This is what Paul is saying. The rewards for Christ, if we protect this, and if we engage in it, is the, is the protection from the Lord. And so... Paul is answering that question that often rises up in us when we read those terrible headlines and we ask, how could that happen, right? Who could do that to their church? Who could do that to a child, right? Those are legitimate questions, so I'm not knocking the question. I've said that myself, and I have to ask the questions, too, as we as we go through that, but we're not above that. And so I want to make that very clear, that those things take place in our own hearts sometimes, but then we're judgmental towards the headline because we haven't done that publicly, right? And so we're just that close. We're, we're under the same grace. We need the grace of the Lord not to get there. And so that's why this is important. That's why I, I, I challenge you over these next few weeks to pay attention to boring scriptures over elders, okay? To boring scriptures over widows or deacons or roles in the church, Because the moment we stop clinging to God's word, we start trading in deep spiritual truths for casual Sundays. And we're just hanging out. And you'd probably be better doing that somewhere else, to be very honest. You'd have more fun, to be very honest. And so you need me to teach truth. And you need me to live by it. And we make decisions together based on the good of this church and for God's glory. And we need each other to be praying constantly over what's happening here. On Sundays or small groups in our families, at school, at work, at homeschool, co-ops, all the things that we partake in to stay faithful as families and leadership to what God has called us to in the gospel. And so even when we move on from 1 Timothy, which we will very very soon, uh, we're not going to move on from this text. And so I'm going to pray that God would continue to use your elders and your small group leaders and mom and dad to hammer this text for the next 50 years because we need it. We need the truth of what God is calling us into and protecting us from. And he's giving us the very instruction we need right here, 1 Timothy 5, on how to take care of things faithfully. So that's not boring to me right? shouldn't be boring to us. And so I want that to be motivating this week. As you dive into small group, as you maybe sit down and study this again, as you prepare for small group, some of you going through those questions and and saying, how can I properly teach this or maybe invoke some really good discussion in our small group? Be prayerful because that's intentional. We want you to engage in that way. So it's not a boring passage about eldership or deacons or women or false teachers, but this is for you. This is for us to engage in, to raise up faithful generations. Some of your kids are sitting next to you right now. Pray this over them. Pray that when they are leaders in the church, that God is protecting them through the provision of his church and his word. Pray that we are fair and impartial in how we handle things on Sunday and throughout the week. Pray that your elders make good decisions that are cautious and discerning so that we avoid much heartache. And that we are truly set apart from the world. That this church would be a light to the city. And so this is the call to submit to a loving and holy God. Okay, that's the call in this text. Is to see how the Lord has defined how we are to look. And so he's going to call us into some really heavy things together. And the beautiful thing is that it's going to be amazing. And so my encouragement to you is to stay focused And stay faithful, just as Paul is telling Timothy. Let's pray. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for a text that reminds us of who you are, that we have testimony, that you have saved us from much, that, God, that you're moving in this room. I pray that you would stir us up to evaluate our lives, where we can pour into our families better, into our spouses better, into our relationships better. For your glory not just to be better people but to be better reflections of who you are father to enjoy how you've created us to be that you would provide deep friendship in this place that you would provide protection for us to fail and succeed father encouragement through your saints that we would mourn together that we would rejoice together and i pray that we would do that now through worship through prayer through communion taking part in the elements, reminding that Christ came for us sinners who have no part in this relationship with you, and yet you bridge the gap through Christ. And to that we say amen.